Amen. Good morning. So I have to share a literal pet peeve with you this morning, and you're going to understand why I call it a literal. I don't throw the word literal around lightly because of how overused it is, but this is a literal pet peeve. You ready for this? So what, what annoys me sometimes, a lot of the time, is when, and this may offend somebody this morning, so I just have to like, you know, brace you for that, prepare you for that, but um, one of my literal pet peeves is when people treat pets like people. Um, like, pets are people too, that whole like, you know, calling them fur babies and stuff, there's like a little bit of vomit that comes up in my mouth whenever I hear, hear somebody refer to their animal as a fur baby. And I'm like, it's an animal. Like, don't dress it up. Don't put clothes on it. Don't give it a puppy cupcake for its birthday. It doesn't know that it's its birthday, okay? It's like, and then people taking their pet, their, their dog to um, uh, Starbucks for the puppy chinos, which is a thing. Like, that's a real thing. I don't know if you re- realize that. Some of you might be like, oh, I might have to take my dog to go get a puppy chino today. Um, and if you're one of those people, that's fine. We can still be friends, but I'm still going to be annoyed by it. Like, and just, like, see that. I'm just like, come on. It's an animal. It's not a person. And then, like, you, you drive by these people on the road, and they've got all these stickers on the back of their car, like how much they love their puppy. And like, oh, yeah, I have kids too. But my puppy, oh, my goodness. You know, and it's like, wait a second, uh, who do you love more, right? And so, I mean, sometimes it really seems like people love their animals more than they love people, and that can be a problem. And some people don't even see that as a problem. They're like, and what's the big deal? Like, my neighbor's a jerk, but my puppy gives me kisses every time I walk in the door. So, of course, I'm going to love my puppy more than I love my neighbor, um, which may be why Jesus had to command us to love your neighbor, because you don't have to be commanded to love your puppy, all right? Um, but, um, you know, that, that's just one of those things, and people tend to kind of take that a little too far, and I'm half kidding about that. Uh, it really does kind of bug me sometimes, the way people treat animals like kids. Uh, I was actually at um, Home Depot just yesterday, and I counted at least five dogs in the store, at least five dogs. People just, and they're not like, you know, therapy animals or anything. It's just like, I felt like bringing my dog to Home Depot, and it's like, okay, wh- whatever, dude. Um, my dog is not going to Home Depot, like, ever. So uh, he's just going to have to stay home and, and enjoy uh, being home. But, uh, you know, everybody, though, kind of has things that they're passionate about, right? You're either passionate, like, in favor of something, or you're passionately against something. You might be one of those people this morning, you came in and you're like, I'm passionately in favor of my dog, and I'm offended right now that you would even say that about people who are like that, because I'm like that, and you just need to back off, right? So, like, maybe you're that passionate in favor of that, or maybe you're passionate like me, uh, opposed to that, like, uh, just kind of like, dude, come on, it's an animal, whatever. Um, but we're all passionate about something, aren't we? And, and there might be a few things, or several things even, that you're passionate about, that you just get fired up when you hear somebody talking about it. And, and that passion really kind of boils down to, in a lot of ways, in a lot of cases, a cause. Like there's, some, there's some kind of cause that, that you get passionate about, and it, it's a cause that you're just like, you know what, I know that this topic or this issue is a big deal. It, it's, it's a a problem where it's something that needs attention and needs awareness or whatever so that people can can do something about it, right? Um, and so I think there's something deep down in all of us that we desire, that it's built into our DNA, that we desire to be part of something that's bigger than us. And, and there are certain injustices in the world that we look at and we go, that's not right. Somebody needs to do something about that, right? And then if we get fired up about it and motivated about it enough, we're going to become the person that we say, you know what? Not just somebody needs to do something, I'm going to do something. I'm going to step up. I'm going to make something happen. And so uh, in this culture that we live in, I think we're more cause-oriented today than we've ever been. Or at least it feels like it. I mean, I haven't lived in previous generations necessarily. So uh, I don't know how fired up and passionate they were. Maybe they were just as fired up and passionate. But it seems like causes take the, the headlines all the time now. And especially millennials, it feels like millennials are especially focused on uh, causes and, and promoting things that, that are bigger than us. And, and they're, you know, just a couple of examples, um, the environment. I mean, that's a big one, global warming. You know, people are, are definitely rightly concern, concerned about that. Um, and, and it takes shape in different ways. I think one of the latest things is eliminating single-use plastic straws. Um, I don't know if anybody's gotten fired up enough about it to start bringing your own straw everywhere you go uh, and then wash it when you're done. And like, I'm not going to use those plastic straws because they end up who knows where, right? Um, but, but that's kind of the latest uh, aspect of that issue. Or human trafficking. 
Um, that's especially as the Super Bowl comes up. You know, people get really focused on human trafficking, which is actually a problem all year round, not just around the Super Bowl. But, you know, fortunately, at least this is a time of year where people start to pay more attention to that. Um, and I think I heard, I can't remember what the, the latest statistic is, but a few years ago, at least, um, the statistic was there are still in the world right now today, 27 million people who are enslaved. 27 million people, which um, percentage-wise is the most ever in history. Um, and, and slavery kind of takes different shapes and looks in different ways uh, in different cultures. But uh, people who are being forced to do things that they don't want to do, that's slavery. So uh, that's, that's still alive and well in the world. And uh, we need to bring some awareness to that, right? Um, gender and race equality. That's another real big, important issue in our world and in our culture right now, right? The Me Too movement. Um, and then you've got uh, different expressions of like, you know, the, the race issue where, you know, you got Antifa stepping up. And just the last couple of weeks, you, you had this clash between the black Hebrews and these kids from, where were they from? I don't even remember now, Iowa or something like that, some Midwest state. Uh, Ohio, there you go. Uh, I knew it was Midwest. I was close. Another four-letter Midwestern state. All right. Um, so um, I was so close. Um, but yeah, so you had this clash between them, and there's some racial overtones going on. You had the Native American group that kind of stepped into the middle of that, and it's like, okay, the situation's getting kind of tense, and it sort of represents us as a nation right now. Things are really tense. People are on the edge of their seat with a lot of those kinds of things. I mean, you see just in our area over at UNC, knocking down statues and making a big deal about things like that. So yeah, it's on, on the forefront of people's minds these causes, but yet there are causes that some people get fired up about that people are like, really? Come on. And I got a couple of examples of those. You ready for this? Um, there, PETA has actually created a group called, um, I forget what it's called, but, but their, their cause is all about empathy for lobsters. And this is a real thing, like empathy for lobsters, like almost like lobsters are people too, like let's stop boiling them alive kind of thing, you know, like that's just wrong, it's just mean, you know, and, but, but it's so delicious, right? Um, so uh, we can overlook that, all right? So there's lobster empathy. Then there's, and this is a real thing too, you can look it up, a bill of rights for plants. A bill of rights for plants, that we have to treat plants in a certain way because they're living things, and so let's, let's not mistreat plants. Um, and then this is also a, a real group, uh, there are people who are against the negative portrayal of snakes on TV. It's like when snakes are on TV, you know, and you can just imagine there are probably some snake lovers. You might have a couple of snake lovers in the room. I don't know if you've ever had one or have one now um, that, that are like, it's just wrong that snakes are villainized in everything that you see on TV. And so, yeah, people get fired up about that. Um, but we all, I think, kind of coming back to this idea, we all have something that we're passionate about. We have some kind of cause that, that stirs something in us. We go, there's, there's something wrong with the, with the status quo, the way things are, and somebody needs to step up and do something, and I might even get motivated enough to actually step up and do something about it. But there comes a point where we have to ask ourselves, am I willing to do something that's actually going to cost me something? Or am I going to do something that's just like, you know, uh, I'll, I'll make a post on Facebook. I saw a funny video a while back that was kind of poking fun at uh, the, the form of protest that most people have is I'm going to make a Facebook post about this. So I am going to make a strongly worded Facebook post. And it's like, and that's going to change the world, right? Your Facebook post really just like blew up the whole world and everybody now is going to be different because you made that Facebook post. And it's like, no, not really, probably not. That, that really has never happened. It probably never will that somebody made a Facebook post that's changing the world, right? Um, so what we need to do is when we look at a cause that we want to get passionate about and get, get behind, there's two things I think that um, help us determine the worthiness of that cause. Two kind of measures for how worthy is this cause that we, we want to get fired up about. And one is our willingness to sacrifice or, or the people who are engaged in this cause, their willingness to sacrifice. How far am I willing to, to go? Am I just willing to make a Facebook post about it or, or send a tweet uh, or, or post something maybe on some other social media, Instagram or Snapchat or whatever? Um, is that the extent of it or am I willing to actually sacrifice something for this cause that I'm passionate about. And the second measure is what kind of impact will this cause, you know, if we're successful in this cause, what kind of impact can it have? 
Will it have, will it last beyond a month or two months or six months or a year or a decade or a hundred years? Um, will it last beyond me? Will it last beyond this little group of band of people that we've gathered together to, to get passionate about this cause? So those are the two big measures. Um, how willing are we to sacrifice for this cause and what kind of impact can it have or will it have if we're successful? All right. So thinking about that, what is the cause? There is a cause that all of us were created and designed for. God created us for a cause. And there's a reason that we get fired up about things. There's a reason that we get passionate about certain things because God created us to recognize certain things in the world that that are unjust, injustices that exist in the world. And there's something in us that goes, that's not right. That shouldn't be. And, And I think there's even an aspect of God's, um, God's spirit in us that kind of rises up to the surface when we see something like, you know, when children are mistreated, or really when anybody's mistreated, but, but especially when children are mistreated, there's something in us that's like, oh, no, you didn't. Like, claws are about to come out. You're about to see the teeth, and it's about to get ugly right here, right now, because we're about to do something about this, right? Um, but, but I think that's because we're created with that. And God actually created all of us for a common cause. And, and that common cause we're going to talk about today, but um, it looks differently for each of us because we're all created differently. And, and praise God that we have diversity, right? Praise God that we are different and, and that we bring different things to the table because if we were all exactly the same, what a boring world this would be, right? Let, so, so we come together and we have different gifts and different passions, different abilities, different personalities, but we have one common mission, one common cause together as the church, as the body of Christ. Those of us who have come together to say, you know what, we want to live into the purpose that God created us for. We want to accomplish that purpose and not get caught up in lobster empathy, all right? Uh, We don't want to get caught up in something that's not going to matter a week from now or a month from now or a year from now or even 100 years from now, but we want to get caught up in a cause that's not going away ever. And if you want to get caught up in a cause that's not going away ever and resonates with the very reason that you were created, then I want to invite you to, to check this out this morning, that we were created, this is at the top of your sheet this morning, that we're created for a contagious cause, to know Christ, to know Jesus, and to make him known. Let me say that again. We're created for a contagious cause, which is to know Jesus and to make him known. That's what it really all boils down to, and that, that's a big overarching thought um, and as you can see, there's so many different ways that could play out in each of our lives. But, but I think if we really want to live for something that's going to last, really something that's going to make a difference and, and have purpose and meaning behind it, then we need to live into this cause, the cause that we we're created for. And we've been talking about in this series, uh, this, this concept of being contagious. And, and we want to be a contagious people that... Uh, for lack of a better term, I kind of like the idea, even though it's somewhat negative to an extent, you know, it's cold and flu season and we talk about contagious and a lot of ways that most of the time we talk about being contagious, it's a negative thing. It's like, hey, I'm contagious. We're like, whoa, what? Uh, I, I don't want it. I don't, whatever it is that you've got, I don't want it. And I, I'm going to step back from it because I don't want to get caught up in whatever this contagious thing is that, that you've got going on, right? But we're talking about that we want to be contagious in a positive way, the, the kind of way that, that the early church was back in Acts chapter 2. And we're going to read it, this here in just a minute. So if you have your Bible with you, these verses that we're reading initially aren't going to be on the screen. So if you've got your um, Bible app or your, your actual Bible, it would be awesome to just turn together into Acts chapter 2, verse, beginning in verse 42. But what we see here in the early church is just this contagious movement that begins and I don't know about you but whenever I read this passage I I just kind of think to myself man how awesome would it be if the church today looked like this if we practiced these kind of principles and we had these kind of thoughts and attitudes and interactions with each other so last week we talked about contagious attitudes right and we talked about that every attitude is contagious every attitude so then we just have to ask the question, what disease am I spreading, right? Like, like am, I, am I infecting people with negative attitudes? Or am I infecting people with a positive, that Christ-like attitude? And that Christ-like attitude causes people to do what? To want to know more about who Jesus is. But you know what? When we have an un-Christ-like attitude, what do you think happens to, to their desire to get to know who Jesus is? They step back from it. They go like, so you're a follower of Jesus, and you have that kind of attitude. 
no thanks. I'm not interested. I don't want to have anything to do with that. Um, and unfortunately, so many people look from the outside looking into the church, look at us and they go, well, if, if what you're doing and the way you're acting and the way that you talk represents Jesus, no thanks. And so it's, it's still contagious, right? But contagious in a negative way. And so how do we get back to this contagious attitude that the early church had? And, and, and then this morning, our focus is getting caught up in the contagious cause that, that they were motivated by that got them fired up. There was something behind what was going on here that, that was more than just behavioral. It was more than just, hey, we, we crave community, so community is going to be our cause. Community wasn't the cause. Community was result of the commitment to the cause. They came together because they all believed in this cause, and they were like, we've got to do something. We've got to come together, and we've got to um, move this thing forward. And so let's look at that together in Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 42. We get some incredible insight to why and how the greatest cause ever known just completely exploded. So here we go. Verse 42 says this, all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miracles and signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. How incredible was this beginning of this incredible movement i mean we look at this we we have to ask the question what it was it about this movement that was so contagious well i think it was number one on your outline this morning because everybody understood why this was important the, the question of why and it, you know just a couple of weeks ago we took a whole sunday where we sat down and we talked about what are we about as a church what is our why why do we exist What's our purpose? What's our mission together? And so that was our, our vision Sunday. And, and we wanted to make sure that we all understand that. And, and hopefully you, you kind of know the idea of what we're about as a church, especially if you've been with us for a while. But, but it all boils down to our purpose statement is to make an impact for Christ in our community to impact the world. To impact our community for Christ, to impact the world. And so it, it's all about making an impact. And, and hopefully you see that. If you've been around the gathering for a while, you see, and there's even some opportunities in your handout this morning uh, with the announcements of some upcoming opportunities that we have to make an impact. Not just in our own community, but in our area, in our region, and even in the world as we're getting ready to, to send teams to go to Guatemala here in just a few weeks and, and again this summer. And so... What is the why of the early church? What, what was it that got them so motivated to, to begin this contagious cause? And it comes back to what we talked about just a minute ago, that, that they understood that the contagious cause that they were created for was to know Jesus and to make him known. Because it all comes back to, you know, it talks about in the first couple of verses here in verse 42, it says that the, all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. What was that teaching? The teaching that Jesus gave them. You know, when Jesus was asked, what's the first and greatest commandment? Hey, the answer was the, the great commandment, right? To love God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor like you love yourself. So guess what they were teaching? What, guess what the apostles were teaching? Love God, love people, right? And then before Jesus ascended into heaven, he gave his followers, his disciples, the great commission. So we've got the great commandment, which is to love God and love people. And now we've got the great commission as well, where Jesus commissioned his disciples, not a suggestion, not just a good idea, but a command. He said, I command you to make disciples who make disciples. Kind of boiling it all down. That's what he was saying. To, to go and make disciples of all nations. Teaching them to everything, teach them everything that I've taught you, right? Teaching them to obey all of my commands and baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And remember, I'm with you to the very end of the age. And so he, he commissioned his disciples and he said, because I have, and go back to the beginning of that passage right there, Matthew 28, 18 through 20. If you look in verse 18, uh, 17 and 18, he says, all power and all authority has been given to me. Therefore, go make disciples. So because he had all authority, like, do you ever think about that? Like, he had all the authority in heaven on earth. There's no higher authority than Jesus. And so he's, he's leveraging that authority when he's talking to his disciples right here. And so he's saying, with all the authority that I have, here's the command that I give you, go make disciples. 
So if we're followers of Jesus, that command extends to us. So again, guess what the apostles were teaching people in the early church when it says that the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They were devoting themselves to the teaching of love God, love people, make disciples. Love God, love people, make disciples. And as you read through the rest of this passage, that's what they were doing, and that's what it looked like for them in the early church. And so they understood this why. But once we understand the why question, then we can take the next step and go to the how question. So once we understand our why, we know our mission, we know what we're supposed to be about, the second question that we have to ask is how. Now, for a lot of us, if you're like me, a lot of times you want to skip right to how. It's like, I'm super practical. Just tell me what I'm supposed to do so I can get busy and get it done, right? That, that's me, kind of like a D personality, like, yeah, 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 I, I get the why. Okay, fine, let's, let's move on to the how. Uh, but we can't just skip over the why. We have to understand that first because the why drives the how. If we don't understand why, we're not going to understand how either. So once we understand that the why is to make disciples who make disciples, right, to, to make him known, to know Jesus and to make him known, the second question becomes how. How do we do that? And, and a good way for us to kind of begin to explore that for ourselves is to understand how did they do it in the early church? What did it look like for them? So, so let's look at how they did that. So we're going back into these verses. Um, and, and, and one other thing I wanted to come back to real quickly as well. We talked about how do you measure uh, the worthiness of a cause by their willingness to sacrifice for it and by the impact that it has, right? So... Think about those things as we look at what the early church did and how committed they were to this cause. So, so first of all, it says, all the believers. All the believers. I know I kind of hit that last week, but I want to make sure we hit it again this week, that it was all the believers. Everybody. Nobody sitting on the sideline with their arms crossed or their hands in their pockets. Nobody was standing back saying, I don't know, I'm just going to check this thing out and see what you guys are about and see what you're doing. But all the believers stepped in. All the believers came together and they said, we're in on this. So what did they do? All the believers devoted themselves. So what does it mean to be devoted? What does that mean and what does that look like? It means that everything else takes second place. Everything else takes second place. My devotion to God preempts everything else in my life. Everything else that I might be committed to, and we can be committed to a lot of things, and I think we're probably in the most overcommitted culture that's ever existed, right? We're committed to so many different things, but to be devoted means that it takes first place. You can't have multiple first places. We can't just have, well, I've got several things that are first place in my life. No, you don't. Something's gonna beat everything else out. As a matter of fact, Jesus told us that um, in... Uh, Matthew chapter 6, verse 24 in the, in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus said, no one can serve two masters. That's what happens when you try to be devoted to, to more things than just one, right? So I can be committed to other things, but I can only be devoted, truly devoted to one thing because that's the thing that has first place in my life. And so Jesus said, no one can serve two masters for you'll hate one and love the other. You'll be devoted to one, there's that word devoted, and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. So that was the, the issue that he was hitting on right there. Is like, look, money can't be number one and God number one. It doesn't work that way. One's going to win. Either God's going to win or money's going to win. At some point, there, there's going to be a tension there, and you're going to have to make a choice. And what, which, what's it going to be? And so the same thing is for us, that we've got to make a decision of what we're going to be devoted to. And, and so let me give you kind of a, a funny, simple example of that. Guys, for those of you who are married, how many of you guys are married in here? Gentlemen, raise your hand. All right, awesome. Uh, putting you on the spot real quick. So, guys, is it possible, and if, if you have a hard time answering this question, just turn to your wife. She'll help you. All right? Is it possible for you to be devoted to two women? Ask your wife. She'll, she'll help you. All right? Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> she will definitely help you with that question. And the answer is what? No. All right, absolutely not. There's no way you can be devoted to two women. It is going to be a complete disaster. People have tried. People are trying to this day, and it's still not working out for them. Uh, and, and so, again, if, you, if you're having issues with that and not sure how that's going to work, just ask your wife. She'll, she'll get set you straight on that, right? But it's interesting that Luke, who's the author of, of the book of Acts, points out that they devoted themselves. And I think that's an important distinction, that they devoted themselves. There was nobody that, it wasn't the apostles came along and like shook a finger in their face and you need to be devoted. Get devoted right now, like a drill sergeant, like just, you know, throwing it in their face. Like, 
you know, you should be more devoted. Come on, you guys are better than this. Come on, get after it. They devoted themselves. They said, we're committed to this, and, and we're all in it. And that really is, is the case for all of us. If anybody has to make you be devoted to something, the truth is you're really not devoted to it. It's someone else's devotion, not yours. And in your heart, deep down, if you're really honest with yourself and really honest with other people, you're really not devoted to that. It's something that's been forced upon you by somebody else. And so the question that we have to ask ourselves this morning is, what are we devoted to? Because we are all devoted to something. Something has first place in our life. The only question is, is it the thing that's the most worthy? Or is it something else? Um, so when you, you kind of keep going with this, so they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. So they were committed to coming together and doing life together. This was important to them, and they genuinely enjoyed being together. It wasn't forced on them. It wasn't like, okay, guys, every day at 8 o'clock, we're going to get together, and we're going to do these things. It was like, no, we want to do this. They were motivated. They said, we, we, this is going to be a priority in our lives. So, so they were devoted to the fellowship, to eating together. Can I, can I get an amen? Uh, they were devoted to eating together. That's in Scripture, all right? Like, so we are, we, we can be all about being devoted to eating together. That's a, that's a good thing, right? Um, but not just eating, but eating together, which included the Lord's Supper. And we had a, a really cool experience when we were in our residency in Nashville a few years ago. Um, we did this thing once a month together with our, uh, our other residents. Actually, we met together every week, but once a month, we did this thing where we called it uh, our saint's meal. And, and as a part of saint's meal, we actually had communion, just the, the three families that were there and, and the guy that led our residency. And we would just take a moment and take communion together. It was a really cool thing. And, and actually, that's something that you and your B group, you, you have full license to have communion in your B group. That'd be kind of a cool thing to do maybe at some point. You know, don't, I wouldn't necessarily say do it every time you get together, um, but once in a while it could be really special, right? Uh, so this is what they were doing. They would come together, they would eat together, they would take communion, and, and it was a really special time for them because when we take communion, we'll have opportunity this morning to take communion. What are we doing? We're remembering the sacrifice that Jesus made so that we could be a part of his family, so that we could be called by his name, so that we could accomplish his purpose in our life. And so we just remember that sacrifice that he made and the fact that he died in our place. He got on the cross and he took our place. We deserve to die, but he, he took that for us so that we could be cleansed and washed and forgiven and have an opportunity to spend eternity in heaven with him. And by the way, eternity begins now. Eternity begins at the moment that we say yes to Jesus. And so that relationship begins now. and We begin to uh, engage into the cause that he created us for. We, we get to engage in a relationship with him here and now. We don't have to wait till, till we get to heaven, although when we get to heaven, it's going to be way better because we'll be face-to-face with him, right? But for now, we, we get the opportunity to have a, a real living relationship with him. Uh, and he, he changes us, he shapes us to become more like him. And so as we celebrate communion, that's on our mind. Thank you, Jesus, for giving me this opportunity to be part of this family by, by paying the price for me and the fact that, that you're not in the grave, you're alive, and you're alive in me. I want to praise you for that. So that's all part of communion. And we'll get an opportunity, like I said, to do that here in just a little bit. So they're eating together. Um, and they're also praying together, making sure that they spend time praying together. And it, it wasn't just like um, simple little prayers or, or just kind of like uh, an afterthought prayer. This was like going after God together in prayer. Um, going before God's throne and just putting uh, everything that we've got going on at his feet. Not Probably not like you may have experienced like a prayer meeting at some point where like anything and everything is fair game in the prayer meeting, like Sister Mildred's foot, you know, uh, and, and my neighbor's goldfish uh, gets on the list and it's like, come on, people. And it's like, how often when we get together and pray, do we pray for people who don't know Jesus? How often do we pray for people who don't know Jesus? I heard somebody one time that like threw down this really hard challenge. He was like, if God answered all the prayers that you prayed this week, how many new people would be in the kingdom? It was like, oh, that's a gut punch right there. It's like, I'm not praying for lost people enough. Maybe I should do that. Maybe I should be praying for people who don't know Jesus. Um, because if I'm not praying for them, maybe nobody else is either. And how tragic is that, right? So then as you move on, all the believers had a deep sense of awe. They met in one place. 
they, they made meeting together a priority. Um, and one of the things about this that I think, it, you know, when you kind of go a little bit further into this, it says that they worship to the, at the temple. They worship together at the temple every day. Every day. I mean, could it be more of a priority to them to, to say this is, this is going to be who we are and what we're about, and every day we're going to meet together. So what if we made an announcement this morning and said, okay, guys, we're not going to have church just on Sunday anymore. Every day we're going to get together, and, and we're going to have church before we all go to work. And so we're going to get up early. We're going to come together. We're going to eat. We'll have breakfast. We'll maybe even celebrate Lord's Supper. We're going to sing a couple of songs. Chris is going to lead us. And, 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 then, and then we're going to pray together, and then we're going to go be sent out as the hands and feet of Jesus everywhere we go. All right, everybody good with that? Let's go. We, we'd be like, uh, well, uh, uh, one, once a week is hard enough, right? Because, I mean, think about, it. like, average church attendance now is defined as once a month. Average church attendance, like, for somebody to say I'm an active church attender means once a month. And so if you're a once a monther, you're average. You made it. Like, welcome to being average, right? Um, but, but hopefully we, we have a, a desire to be better than average, right? So like, well, I'm every other week, so I'm doing way better. I'm, I'm twice as much as that person. That, but, but think about this. Even if we come once a week, these guys did it seven times in the time that we did it once. Seven times they came together and like, hey, we're getting together. We're going to pray. I don't know how long it lasted. It might have lasted 10 minutes. It might have lasted two hours. We don't know. But we know that they did it every day and they were devoted to doing that. Not only that, they shared everything that they had. They, so that tells us they didn't hold anything back. They were completely selfless. And, and we see that they sold their property and their possessions. And they gave the money that they made from, the, from those things that they sold. And they gave that money to those in need. That's what we call sacrificial giving. And a lot of us, we, we kind of like, that doesn't compute. Because we've never done that level of giving before. It's always like, well, here's the leftover. Here, here's what I had left over. And I'll give that to the church. And so it's like, whatever I have, you know, everything else takes priority and takes precedent. You know, if we're in the, in the uh, discipline or the habit of budgeting, which I highly encourage you, if you're not a budgeter, uh, talk to my wife. She hooks us up as a family and just takes care of things. And like, is, she could have been an accountant and she kind of is uh, to an extent. But, um, but get on a budget and budget in your giving. If you don't do that already, um, but but make that a priority. That's what they did. They they made this a priority, and they said we're gonna stuff that that we have, and even it was stuff that they used and and probably even needed to an extent. They're like, you know, we're gonna sell that because we can live without it, and we're gonna give that money to people who who uh, have needs in their life. And some people might look at that and go, well, isn't that like socialism or communism? Or but the difference is this: they chose to do that. They chose to do that. No government or the apostles weren't like, all right, now everybody get your stuff and go sell it and bring us the money. That, that wasn't how it went down. It was they decided, you know what, I got stuff that I don't have, or th- that I have that I don't really need. I'm going to sell this stuff. And, and I know that there's a guy over here, a family over here that has a need. And I want to meet that need. I want to help them out. And, and so it was internal motivation that caused them to do that, not external force. Nobody came along and made them do this. And, and listen, we're also not necessarily saying that this is the way it should be, and if it's not that way, then, then we're missing the point of, of what this passage is telling us. This is descriptive, not prescriptive. This just tells us what it looked like for them. Now, God may take this and, and kind of prick your heart a little bit and be like, hey, yeah, there's some stuff that you got that maybe you could do without, and, and you could take that money, and you could bless somebody with that. And if God leads you to do that, that's awesome. And sometimes he does lead you to do that, but not always. So I hope that, that you kind of hear where we're coming from on that, that it's not like, okay, everybody start, better start doing this or you're not really following Jesus. That's not necessarily what we're saying. But I am saying if Jesus is prompting you to do that and you don't do it, then that's a disobedience, right? But if he's not prompting you, then don't do it just to, to make a show out of it because there's actually some people who, who really did that. Who, uh, and we'll talk about that um, in weeks to come, maybe even next week. I can't remember, but... Um, talk about some people who were, were just basically making a show out of their generosity. Um, but, but we want to be generous, right? So they also, uh, they met in homes for the Lord's Supper. We kind of hit on that. Communion was a priority. They shared their meals together with great joy and generosity. Um, and we're going to talk about some ideas for how to do that in, in weeks to come as well. Like, so how can we share our meals with great joy and generosity and include people who 
um, aren't part of our church in, in that process. So examining the how kind of prompts us then to, to ask the final question in this process. So we, we understand the why, and, and we see how the early church engaged in the how, and that's kind of getting us thinking about what would it look like for us here today, maybe in your B group or maybe for you in your neighborhood or maybe for you in your relationship with your coworkers or wherever you find yourself. But the next question we have to ask is what? What? What's your next step? What do you do next? Where do you go from here? And there's two levels to this. The first level is individually, because we all have personal responsibility, right? God has called each and every one of us to know him and to make him known. So what does that mean for me? What are the the things specifically that I need to be doing to engage in this mission? Because uh, none of us can do everything, but all of us can do something. I love that, that quote. I mean, that's incredible stuff right there. None of us can do everything, but all of us can do something. So there's an individual level. Then there's a collective level. And so, so we start talking about, like, individually, I can do something. But guess what? Collectively, we can do more. As a matter of fact, we can do exponentially more when we get together. So it, it's not just like addition that like you know when two people get together with two other people and they bring their resources together that it's just two plus two right no it's two times two and then we start seeing that multiplication happen and God takes what what we bring together to the table and he he multiplies it in ways that just kind of blow our minds we're like oh my gosh we never we never fathomed that God could do all of this with just what we brought. I mean, think about that. That's what Jesus did. When the disciples brought Jesus the, the two loaves of bread and the, or the two, what was it? Two loaves and five fish. Yeah, I think that's right. Um, or maybe I got it backwards. Uh, but anyway, they brought, they brought this stuff to Jesus and he multiplied it, right? And he fed 5,000 people with, with just that little amount, right? Y'all are laughing at me because I can't remember that. I appreciate that. Uh, I wasn't even planning to bring that up. Shouldn't have. Anyway, but, but God, uh, God multiplies what we bring to him, right? Um, and, and so it, it, together we can do so much more. But what if only a few of us decide to, to come together to engage in this mission together? Well, we're significantly hindered in what we can accomplish, aren't we? So if, if just a few of us out of the many are saying, okay, I'm all in, let's go, let's do this, I'm going to bring my resources to the table and, and try to accomplish this mission. And it's like, man, why aren't we able to do more? It's because we haven't all together come together and said we're all going to participate. We're, we're not going to stand back on the sideline and just with our hands in our pockets or arms folded and, and watch everybody else participate in this mission. We're all going to get engaged in it because together we can accomplish so much more. And I thought about this this analogy of uh, of in a, if we're all in a rowboat together, we're either rowing or we're weighing the boat down, right? So if we're not rowing, then guess what we're doing? We're holding everybody else up, aren't we? So if everybody started rowing, how much faster does the boat go? Exponentially faster, doesn't it? Especially if we can all get in sync and start rowing together and stroking at the same time. You've seen that in the Olympics, right? The rowing teams. It's crazy how fast they're zipping through the water. But it's because they're all in sync and they're all rowing together. But, but what if, like, you know, I don't know how many people are in those boats. I think they have different uh, amounts of people for different races or, like, shorter races or less people. And Anyway, I clearly don't know what I'm talking about. But <laughs> about anything this morning, but even that. So... But, but what if, like, half the people in the boat just decided, you know what, you guys got this. We're just going to watch. The boat would slow down significantly, wouldn't it? They would lose the race if, if that were to happen. And so what if we all participate and we all use what God has given us to accomplish this mission together? So a couple of, of what questions that I, I want to throw out here. And, and as we're getting ready to think about these what questions, um, let me put this out there. Jesus, in Luke chapter 4, verse 13 or verse 16 through 21 says this. When he came to the village of Nazareth, his boyhood home, he went as usual to the synagogue on the Sabbath and he stood up to read the scriptures. The scroll of Isaiah, the prophet was handed to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. The spirit of the Lord is upon me for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. Then he rolled up the scroll, handed it back to the attendant, and sat down. 
All eyes on the in the synagogue looked at him intently. Then he began to speak to them. The scripture you've just heard has been fulfilled this very day. This is monumental moment going on right here. So first of all, I love this, that we don't have to guess what Jesus' why was. That was his why right there. He, he put it right there for us and, and went back to the Old Testament and the prophet Isaiah and said, this is the why. This is why I'm here. This is what I'm all about. And this was at the very beginning of Jesus's ministry. This was the launching point, the, the launching pad for Jesus' ministry. And so I, I love that he just walked in there and, and it, he kind of walked up to the front and, and they handed him this scroll. He opens it up to this exact passage and reads this passage. And, and, and just like when he, <laughs> he reads this, and so he says, um, you know, it says that he rolled up the scroll, he handed it back to the attendant, and he sat down. And I can just imagine, I mean, put yourself in that moment for a second, that what are the odds that he would read that particular passage of Scripture, right? That that would be the one that was handed to him. Um, and, and so he opens it up and he finds those exact verses. And then when he's done reading it, which is a prophecy about the Messiah, he hands it back to him and he just sits down and, and everybody's just staring at him. And you could probably hear a pin drop in this room. Nobody's saying a word. And I, I'm curious, like, how long did that go on? How long was that pause in that place where people were just kind of sitting there and like, did he really just read that passage? And, and just like, mic drop. Like, he, he read that. And like, this is the ultimate mic drop moment where Jesus is just like, boom. And he goes and he just sits down and is like, you know, I can just imagine, like, that's what's going on in this moment. And, and all of a sudden, like, Jesus breaks the silence and he's like, by the way, the scripture that you just heard is fulfilled right here, right now. Like, what? I cannot believe he just said that. So it's like, this is what Jesus is all about. And if we're following Jesus, that's what we've got to be about too. And let's go back to it real quick. So it says that he said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. And I hope and I pray, this is something that we need to be praying, that the spirit of the Lord will be upon us. Now, that wasn't unique to Jesus. But, but for that moment in that time and place, it was unique to him. But now his spirit has been made available to all of us, right? So that we can say and we can pray, God, let your spirit be upon us. Let your spirit fuel us to accomplish your mission and your purpose. So he says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me for he has anointed me to bring good news, the gospel, to bring good news to the poor. To those who haven't heard it yet, he sent me to proclaim that the captives will be released, that the blind will be set free. You hear any causes that Jesus is mentioning in those? That the captives will be set free, that, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. That's good news, isn't it? Isn't that incredibly good news that, that he would proclaim that? So, so let me give you a couple of like real specific questions that we need to start asking. One is, and we, we, we need to get, go home and do some homework on this. What are the needs of the people around you? What are the needs of the people around you? And I think we're all guilty to some extent or another of getting so wrapped up in our own world that we're oblivious to the needs of the people that are right next to us, that, are, that we come across every single day. Maybe it's a, a cashier at Walmart or, or, or at uh, the grocery store that you shop at, or maybe it's a coworker, or maybe it's a neighbor, or maybe it's even a family member, that, that there's a need going on, and, and God's been trying to get your attention about that need for a long time, and, and you've just been kind of like checked out, oblivious, and got so focused on your own life and your own stuff that you don't even know what's going on. Begin to pray this prayer. God, show me the needs of the people around me. God, show me the needs of the people around you. And, and when you begin to do that, guess what happens? You start to notice the needs of the people around you. It's pretty incredible. When, when you start to notice those needs, start writing them down. Find a place to write those needs down. Don't just say, oh, that, okay, I saw that need. I see that need. Like, that's not what, it, it's not just about seeing the need. It's about taking that next step and then going, okay, what can I do about it? So notice the need. What are the needs? And then secondly, what are the resources that God has given you that he has put at your disposal to say, these are not necessarily resources for you to just consume and enjoy. These, you are blessed to be a blessing. You're not just blessed to be blessed. So those who are blessed, let's be a blessing. And start asking the question, God, how can I use what you've given me to be a blessing to somebody else? So I'm, I'm beginning to partner up these needs that I'm noticing with the blessings that I have that I could offer to help meet those needs. And, and then you, you kind of enter into the equation. What are the things that you're 
fired up about, that you're passionate about. Coming back to what we talked about early on in the message this morning, there are things that, that just stir our souls, that get us pumped and get us fired up. And nobody has to like kick you in the pants to tell you to do something about it. You're like, okay, now I'm beginning to notice needs. Now I'm beginning to recognize the resources that I have to help meet those needs. And then I'm starting to partner that up with the things that I'm passionate about. And guess what happens then? That's when the movement really gets going. That's when you, you start, all these things start to converge and, and hit this sweet spot where we go, okay, I see the need, I see my resources that I have to meet that need, and then I have a passionate about this, and, and now something incredible begins to happen. It starts to pick up steam and pick up momentum, and, and just awesome things start to happen as a result of that. So let me give you just some, something practical to be thinking and praying about. Um, those of you who know me and know what my family looks like know that I'm passionate about adoption. Um, and we are blessed to have uh, our son, Asher, who's now three years old, as a part of our family. And it's just, uh, it's challenging, but it's beautiful and awesome, and I wouldn't trade it for anything. Um, and so it's possible. You, you probably heard the news article that came out uh, this past week about uh, what they're talking about with abortion in New York, that, that now it's pretty much legal for, for uh, a baby to be aborted all the way up to birth. Um, so even minutes before the baby's born, it could be aborted. Uh, now there's some stipulations around that, that, that uh, it can't just be, well, I've, I changed my mind. I don't want to have the baby. That's, that's not the situation. But um, things are open to interpretation, right? So that's a tragic thing to, to think about. Um, so what can we do about something like that? Well, one thing is we can say, you know what? There are babies out there that have been born that nobody wants. Let's adopt them. Like, and it, the thing is, is like, it's not that there's a certain number of babies out there that, that need to be adopted. Um, and that number is just at, at a standstill. Like it's just at this number and it's not, no, that number is growing every day. There are new babies being born every day that need to be adopted and need a family. So maybe God might be prompting you to say, that ain't right. And somebody needs to do something about that. And maybe God's given us the resources. So you start to, to marry those things together that we talked about, something that you're passionate about. You see the need, and then you, you step in and you say, we've got to do something about this because uh, we have the resources to do something about it. You might look at yourself and go, well, we don't have the resources to adopt. We heard that's really expensive. It is, but there are loans for it specifically. Um, so if God's prompting you to do it where there's a will, there's a way, right? When God calls you to something, he gives you the means to be able to do it. So, but there's not only adoption, there's also fostering. Fostering is a beautiful way to meet that need in a different way. And so I invite you to, to explore that possibility. But there's another one as well. I'm going to show you a video here in just a second um, about this ministry called Safe Families. And we've got one family in our church that's already stepped up to say, we're going to be a host family as a safe family. And there's a process to walk through in order to be able to do that. And God might prompt you this morning to, after you watch this video, to go, yep, we're doing it. No questions asked. Where do I sign up, right? That would be awesome. Our goal as a church is to have four safe families step up and say, we're going to be host families with this ministry. God may double that or even triple that. Who knows? That would be incredible. We, we had four families this morning that just said, you know what? We're in. Let's do it. Let's make this happen. But you don't have to necessarily be a host family. You can be a support family for a family that said, we're doing this. And I know in this room right now, we've got at least two families uh, that I know of that are foster families that could probably use some support as well. Uh, so all you have to do is just kind of come up to them and say, hey, how can I help? How can I, how can I fuel your fire and, and fan your flame? So let me uh, have you guys watch this video, and then uh, we're, we're going to wrap this thing up. Check this out. Hi, my name's Clarissa. I grew up in the foster system because my mother was on was a drug addict. In 2008, I was sent to jail for about a week. I'd never been in trouble before. And when it happened, it was just like, I was just recently divorced and trying to get a job and trying to take care of my kids. And, you know, it kind of started this spiral of emotional chaos. I didn't have a job. I now had an arrest record. I was, you know, charges were pending, and my kids were in the foster care system. There wasn't enough, like, antidepressant drugs to help me, like, come, come out of that at all. 
When she first came and dropped off Noah, we met in a uh, central meeting place. We allowed Noah to play a little bit with our children and introducing Clarissa to myself, introducing us, and that Noah was going to be coming and staying with us for a little while until Clarissa was able to regroup and, and get her family back on her feet. They made it so easy that I felt guilty. And it wasn't only for my children, they offered me help too, you know, someone to talk to, somebody that would listen to me and not judge me. And how do we love our neighbors? It's not just the people next door, it's not just within our own community, but it's people, all people, everywhere. I would encourage anyone to be a host for Safe Families for Children, to be able to come alongside these families who are in crisis, who need someone, and simply just to love on them. So if that's something you're considering, I would really pray about it and contact one of the administrators and ask them, how can you get started in this program? But do it today, because they need you. Thank you, Safe Families for Children. You kept my family together. So maybe you're ready to sign up. Um, if so, you can just take your decide card this morning and just write uh, Safe Families on there. And uh, we'll get you in touch with the right people and get that ball rolling. Or maybe you just say, you know what, we want to pray about it. That's something that we want to pray about, either being a, a host family or a support family for the host family. Um, and so we want to invite you to, to respond in that way. Whatever it is that God's leading you to do, we want to invite you to respond. And so... Uh, First and foremost, I want to invite you to the greatest cause that's ever existed. And we talked about two ways that uh, we can measure the worthiness of a cause, the willingness of people to sacrifice it, and the impact that it has. And I think we've seen this morning, the fact that we're sitting here and, and talking about this cause still today, over 2,000 years later, talks about how big of a deal this cause is and what kind of an impact it has made and is making and will make in the world. There is no greater cause for us to step into than the cause of knowing Christ and making him known. And so I want to invite you into that. Maybe if you've never taken that first step of faith to say, I want to trust Jesus, today's a great day to do that. Or, or maybe you say, you know what, I've done that, but I've never taken the next step to be baptized and make uh, that decision known to, to my family and my friends that I'm a follower of Jesus that marks the beginning of my spiritual journey. Or, or maybe there's something else. Maybe you need prayer about something specifically or, or God's prompted you to, to say, you know what, I, I need to start making some lists. I need to make a list of people that I know that don't know Jesus. I need to start praying for them. I need to make a list of the needs that I know of right around me. Or, or as I pray, God, show me these needs that, that I'm going to start writing these needs down. Or maybe I'm making a list of things that I have that I could do without, that I could get rid of and use that money to be a blessing to somebody else. Or maybe I need to make a list of some things that I'm passionate about. And, and start looking at how do these things kind of overlap with each other, the needs, the resources, and the passion, and, and where do those things converge? And that's the thing that we really, that's what we're created to do. Those things don't, don't match up like that by accident. They match up by design. So God has created you for this purpose. And the question is, what are you going to do next? How are you going to respond? And I invite you uh, to, to respond through communion, as we talked about earlier. And respond through giving, and, and that giving makes an impact in our community to impact the world. And so whatever it is that God is leading you to do this morning and as a response, let's do that without hesitation, without holding back. Let's stand together as we pray. Father, we thank you for calling us to this cause, for leading us and allowing us to be part of the greatest cause that's ever existed. So Lord, I pray this morning that you'd help us to take that that next step, every single one of us, as the passage says, all the believers, that all the believers in this place, every single one of us, none of us would exempt ourselves, that we would all step forward. We would all step in and say, Lord, use me. Use what you've given me, my talents, my abilities, my skills, my treasures, my passions, my personality, all of it. I want to put it on the table for you, God, to use it, to meet the needs that, that you know of right around me. 
the needs that exist, and, and as a response, or as a result of that, that people would get connected to you in a way that's going to change their eternity. So, Father, I pray that you'll help us right now in this very moment to begin to get very specific about what we're going to do next and respond as you lead us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So we're going to go ahead and start moving around the room and and, uh, take communion or give. This isn't the opportunity to to go uh, hit the restaurant early. Uh, This is an opportunity for us to just respond as God's spirit leads us. Um, so, So let's do that together. Uh, respond in faith and obedience right now.